Well, good morning and happy Sabbath, church family. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Christopher Peterson, and I'm very good friends with Jesse Marks, Pastor Neil's son. And so Pastor Neil and Jesse were very kind enough to reach out to me and give me the opportunity to preach a sermon for all of you uh, watching via the live stream. Now, I wanted to take you to my home church here in Coffs Harbour. So uh, the background that you're seeing is the home church where I grew up, uh, right along the Banana Coast. Now, uh, the one downside to this, however, as I quickly realized while recording, is that without all of the people, all the bodies in the seats, this big, large church becomes a very big echo chamber. So I'm going to try and keep my voice a little bit down, not too loud, so there's not too much echo, not too much feedback. And uh, hopefully you guys uh, will forgive me for the echo, and the message that we look at today will still be impactful. Now, this morning we are going to be embarking on a journey together. And it's not to a particular destination. Rather, we are going to be journeying together through the life of a person. We are going to be looking at a man who saw more and experienced more than likely any of us ever will in our lifetime. A man who lived through the death throes of his home country and did everything in his power to prevent it. This man is the prophet Jeremiah. Now, as we look at the story of Jeremiah, we're going to have to look at a lot of the history surrounding his nation, but the history isn't what's most important. It helps us better understand the story of Jeremiah and the struggles that he goes through. But ultimately, what we're trying to achieve here is not learning dates, not learning fancy titles and names. We want to live and experience the same things that Jeremiah himself went through. We want to be able to feel what he, felt, uh, what he felt, to learn the spiritual lessons that he learned from God. We want to be able to empathize with him as he goes through these intense struggles. And so this morning, as we go through the life of Jeremiah, I hope that you will feel an emotional connection to this man. And that as we look through his life, we will gain insightful uh, insightful profound ideas on how we can do our ministry following the pattern of Jeremiah. Now, okay, what kind of world did Jeremiah live in? You know, sometimes when we read a lot about the prophets, we don't really know the context. And so it's very difficult to understand well, what are they talking about? Who are they talking to? So first of all, it's important that we understand where, when, what was going on during the time of Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah lived in the country of Judah, the capital city of which was Jerusalem. And for the last 400 years, Judah had been ruled by evil and wicked kings. Now, there was a smattering of a few good kings here and there, but predominantly, all of the kings of Judah had been evil and had done things contrary to God. And instead of leading their nation into a positive spirituality, they instead promoted all of the things that God was against. As you read through the prophets, all of the problems are really quite similar. One of the key ones was idolatry. The people, instead of worshipping God, were worshipping foreign and pagan deities. They were worshipping idols. 
And part of the uh, rites and rituals of these gods were things like child sacrifice and temple prostitution. Now, child sacrifice is one of the most abominable things that you can do. And the temple prostitution is, of course, this uh, perversion on the original sexuality which God intended for humanity. Now, it would be bad enough if, you know, all of these things were just going on uh, in the shadows, but these things were large and prominent. And there was still a priesthood that claimed to work and worship on behalf of God. Except these priests were completely corrupt. They could easily be bribed. These people were absolutely evil to their core. The prophets of the time were all false prophets. And you could literally chuck a prophet about $10 and he'd, you know, be happy to prophesy something positively for you. These were basically prophets for hire. Uh, you'd, you'd give him some money and he'd give you some prophecy that you'd want to hear. And, uh, of course, all of this led to a surface-level worship of God. None of this was genuine. When you read what the priests were doing, they were giving the bare minimum effort. In fact, the sacrifices they were giving were subpar, and God just says, what's even the point? You guys are doing such a terrible job at it. Um, I don't even want this worship because it is so false. It's a farce. Now, the, the, uh, the wealthy, the elite, the nobility, they were not above reproof either. These were people who were abusing the poor, taking advantage of those who um, were in need. So, for example, if uh, a wealthy person lent some money to someone in debt, someone in need, rather than give them more time to pay off their debt, they would seize their land... And basically, in this culture, once you lost your land, you lost everything. That was your livelihood. And so these people would now have to become slaves or indentured servants to their, these people who loaned them the money. And even when in Jewish law it said you could only keep someone as an indentured servant for seven years, these rich people completely ignored this rule. And they would keep their servants on for multiple years past this. And so all we see is injustice of the, the poor, the oppressed, the widowed, the orphans, all these vulnerable people in society, these rich, the wealthy, the nobility, were preying upon. And so as Jeremiah, the prophets, and God looks at the state of Judah, it has just been on a moral decline for the last 400 years. And during that time, God has sent over 13 prophets just to the nation of Judah. That's not including uh, the nation of Israel as well. And here is their message. Repent of your sins, otherwise judgment will come. Now, sometimes we get uncomfortable with the concept of God judging people. But if you read all the terrible things that were happening in Judah, you begin to understand why. When you look at things like child sacrifice, that the poor, the widow, the orphan are being oppressed and forced into slavery. When you see that the religious leaders who are supposed to represent God are the furthest thing away from what God's character should be. These are times where we cry out to God for justice. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk is a whole book devoted to a prophet who lives at the same time as Jeremiah. And he says, God, 
how much longer will we have to suffer this evil, corrupt society that we live in? And so, really, when we look at this, God had been incredibly generous in giving them 400 years to repent and sending prophet after prophet. And yet no one was listening to the message that God had. And the evil was becoming so great that it was reaching a point, it was reaching its tipping point where God would be compelled to step in and put an end to the sin that was taking place in Judah. And it is in this context that the prophet Jeremiah is raised up and called into ministry. Now, let's have a quick read of the calling of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah, right after the book of Isaiah and, after, uh, and just before Lamentations and Ezekiel. The book of Jeremiah, right after the book of Isaiah and chapter 1. This is what God says to Jeremiah when he calls him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now, this passage is incredibly comforting for a 22-year-old such as myself who's about to start full-time ministry next year. Because sometimes as I'm going through my study and I'm hearing from other pastors, I begin to think to myself, what am I doing? This is crazy that I'm going to be entering full-time ministry. God, how is it that you've called me to perform this job? And yet here God is clear when he calls Jeremiah... He says, you cannot use your youth as an excuse. Don't just say, hey, I'm too young for the job because I have ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. And although I obviously have not been called to be a prophet, God has uniquely called me to be a pastor. And I want to I give encouragement to all the young people out there who may be listening today. If you feel as though you are too young to do whatever ministry God has called you to do, whether that's singing, playing music, whether you have gifting uh, in hospitality and making delicious food, whether that's um, encouragement, whether that's spiritual discernment, whether that's teaching, whether it's working with children, whatever it is that God has uniquely equipped you with and is calling you to do in his church, don't let your youth stop you from doing that. Jeremiah is specifically told, don't just say you're too young to do the job. God wants to work with you today and your age is not a limit to what you can do for him. Now, 
For the adults out there, some of you might be feeling as though you are spiritually young. You're not young in age or physically, but spiritually you might be still in the early stages of growing your faith. And you might think, well, I just don't have enough knowledge to share the gospel with other people. Or I, I just, I don't know enough about the Bible. I'm not going to know all the answers to the questions. I would say that the same, uh, the same message applies to you. Don't let your spiritual youngness prevent you from sharing the gospel with other people. The only way that your faith will grow is by sharing it with others. And because we're all, we all have to start our spiritual journey somewhere, we're all going to be at different stages. God wants to use all people at all stages in their journey with him. And so maybe you're, you're saying, behold, I cannot speak for I'm too spiritually young. And God says, do not say you are too spiritually young because you will do what I have sent you to do. And what I command you, you will speak. Notice God says he puts his words in the mouth of his prophet. When we ask for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit instructs us, leads and guides us on how we are to speak with other people. So whether you are physically young, whether you're spiritually young, don't let that prevent you from participating in the ministry that God has called you to. Now notice in verse 10, Jeremiah's message is to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down. These, this is him declaring uh, against the nation. He's exposing the sins and evils. He's tearing down the evil fabric of his society. But he's also called to build and to plant. He's also called to restore the people spiritually. So it's a dual message that Jeremiah has. And really, when we look at it, our message today is exactly the same. And in fact, it's exactly the same because the problems we face are the same. We have the problem of idolatry still in our world. Now, people don't usually worship um, idols as they do today in Western countries, but today we're worshiping things like the human intellect, commercialism, getting more and more and more stuff, celebrities, for we are obsessed in idolizing and worshiping celebrities. Child sacrifice. This may be a very unpopular opinion, but every day around the world, in our countries, even here in Australia at home, innocent children are killed in their own mother's wombs. And to me, that is a very likened similarity to how children were killed to these false gods. I think when a society reaches the stage where it believes that killing children and infants, babies, is acceptable and moral, that is a warning sign that we are morally in jeopardy, that we are in serious danger. Temple prostitution. If there's been any point in history where um, deviation from the norm from the pattern which God gave us for sexuality is abundant, it's here and now. Um, it is rampant throughout our society. And of course, just like in the time of Jeremiah, the Christian church today, God's representatives are not exempt from falling into these same problems either. Corrupt priesthoods and paid off false prophets. You just have to turn on the TV, you'll find some televangelists who are ready to scam people out of their money 
and to make themselves richer. These are people who use the gospel of God to serve their own selfish means. These are the equivalent of our false prophets of today. People who can be paid off will spout some biblical-sounding things, but in reality, they are false. There's nothing genuine inside them at all. And, uh, of course, we see uh, surface-level worship is again a problem. And the mafia, the wealthy, elite, the nobility, uh, by mafia, I mean it's like a, the prophets... Uh, use this term to describe the nobility. They're like a mafia that works together, like a criminal empire. Clearly, we are seeing still to this day injustices take place against the vulnerable in our society by those with much more authority and power and are abusing that instead of being good stewards of it. So five years into the ministry of Jeremiah, the law is found. And there is a massive Passover feast and spiritual revival at the hands of King Josiah. So Jeremiah, he's for five years been calling out against all of these problems. The same problems, again, which we face today. And this massive spiritual revival, can you imagine the hope that Jeremiah is feeling? Yes, this is it. Finally, we're going to deal with these problems. We're going to be back on track, spiritually in the right place, following after God. But King Josiah, the king who initiated these spiritual revivals, dies prematurely. And the last four kings of Judah are all Josiah's sons. And all of them hate and oppose Jeremiah and the law of God. The next king is King Jehoaz. And he's such a bad king. He reigns for three months and then he's taken to Egypt as a political prisoner. And his other brother, Jehoiakim, becomes the new king of Judah. Will Jehoiakim listen to Jeremiah? Will he lead the people in a path right with God? He does everything to reverse what his father had done. There was another prophet at the same time as Jeremiah called Urijah. And the prophet Urijah was doing the same thing, preaching against the evils that were in his society begging them to repent so that they could be spared from judgment. And Jehoiakim hated Urijah so much that he sent soldiers out to kill him. And when Urijah, he, he ran to Egypt to escape, to find refuge. And Jehoiakim sends soldiers to Egypt to go and capture and kill Urijah. And they do, they kill Urijah. I don't know about you, but if I were Jeremiah, I think I would be very afraid by this point because the threat on my life has now become very real. Urijah is already dead. Perhaps Jeremiah is next. Jeremiah then goes on to write a scroll and he reads out the scroll in the temple. And this time his message is different. The message is no longer, if you repent, you can be spared. Now the message is, Regardless of whether Jerusalem repents or not, it will be destroyed by the nation of Babylon. How depressing would that be to have to say to your own people, your own hometown, hey, Jerusalem, you're going to be destroyed. There's no hope left. Jerusalem had reached the point of no return. God could no longer look at the evil of this nation and allow it to continue. Now, of course, 
Preaching against your hometown is very unpopular. And so Jeremiah came from a, a, a priestly town called Anathoth. And the people of Anathoth were copying so much flack because their hometown boy, Jeremiah, was so fed up. Uh, the, the, the hometown boy, Jeremiah, was causing so much chaos in Jerusalem where he was preaching. And the people of Anathoth were getting told off for it. So they want to deal with the problem. They want to get rid of Jeremiah. So they send assassins to go and kill Jeremiah. Think about that. Think if your home church didn't like your ministry and sent assassins to kill you. I don't think any pastor has ever had to deal with uh, problems in their church that are that bad. Sure, you might get some stares in some meetings that look like daggers, but no one's ever really tried to throw real daggers at you. I, I can't imagine how upset I would be if I found out Kof Saba Church, my home church, has sent assassins after me to kill me, to go and just make me quiet, stop preaching this message. I think it would drive me nuts knowing that even my hometown isn't behind me. And Jeremiah, he also was not allowed to be married. God told him, do not take a wife because any children you have will be destroyed when Babylon comes. Jeremiah has one friend in the world, and it's a scribe, Barak, or Baruch, however you want to pronounce it. This is the one man that Jeremiah can confide in. This is like his one friend. His hometown's rejected him. His nation's rejected him. He does not have a spouse to keep him company. All he has is his friend Baruch. And have you noticed that God always sends his leaders out in pairs? Moses had uh, Joshua and Aaron. Joshua had Caleb. Elijah had Elisha. When Jesus sent out the 72, he sent them out in pairs. We as humans always do ministry together. We always do ministry better when we are together. It's so easy to become discouraged when we do it by ourselves. And if you look at the prophet Elijah, when he was by himself, he became severely depressed in his ministry. And right after that experience, God says, I want you to go and find a man called Elisha. Unlike Jeremiah, we have the benefit of a church community to do ministry with. We have a whole church family that we can do it together. There's no reason for us to have to go it alone and become discouraged and depressed. We can work together as a church family, and we should take full advantage of this so that we can make our ministry even more effective. Now, of course, King Jehoiakim ignores all the prophecies of Jeremiah, he decides that he can take on the kingdom of Babylon. He rebels against King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, and he deports thousands of Jews to Babylon. Now, Jerusalem hasn't been destroyed yet, but it is now subservient to the nation of Babylon. Now, after, um, after Jehoiakim comes his other brother, Jehoiakim. Yeah, I know. I, all these names starting with J's that sound similar. It's terrible. And Jehoiakim is another rubbish king who reigns for a total of three months. And then he is taken as a political prisoner, this time to Babylon. So Judah has a really bad string of kings. But their final king is King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah, he prefers to listen to false prophets. And these false prophets are saying things like, there's no need to worry. 
Babylon will never destroy Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's chosen people. We are the covenant people. There is no way that there is any threat. But these prophets were making things up. They were being paid to say these useless things. But people are always more willing to listen to things that they enjoy, things that don't convict them of sin, rather than listening to a message which will initially hurt them, but will ultimately save them. It's hard to hear that you're wrong or you're doing the wrong thing. But if you change that behavior and it leads to salvation, that's much better than being left in your sin. And in fact, uh, Paul writes to Timothy that this phenomenon is, it was already happening during their time. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 3 to 4, Paul says, The time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be it turned aside to fables. In other words, what Paul is saying is, people are going to only listen to the people who say things that they like, that I like that he says, um, that, that kind of sates their itching ears. They're going to only pick the people that affirm what they say. And our culture is like that today too. People don't want to hear about God unless God does what they want, acts like they want. They want a God in their image. And we fall into that trap too sometimes. We, we're sometimes confronted by a God that we read in the Bible who is different from how we view him. And it's a trap that we need to be wary of and to avoid. Now, later, King Zedekiah, he actually does sometimes listen to Jeremiah. And there's one time where he decides he's had enough with the abuse of slaves. He says, every slave in Judah has to be set free. And indeed, that happens. But as soon as the slaves are let loose, their slave owners come back and buy them again. Let me just repeat that. The king issues a decree of liberty for all slaves. And as soon as the slaves are set free, their owners come back and buy them as slaves again. If that's not a, an evil and morally bankrupt society, then I don't know what is. And Jeremiah is absolutely appalled by this behavior, as any of us would be too. And eventually, when Jeremiah preaches out against this, he's thrown into a well. And then he's taken out of the well and he's put into a prison. And he spends the next two years in this prison. And one day, Zedekiah, he wants to hear from Jeremiah because he knows that Jeremiah is a true prophet. And so he calls him, and they have a secret conversation. And you find it in Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah chapter 34, Zedekiah has a secret meeting with Jeremiah. He wants to know, is there any last message that God has? Chapter 34. Oh, chapter 38, my apologies. Jeremiah chapter 38. 34 is the liberty of the slaves, if you want to go read that. But Jeremiah chapter 38. Zedekiah comes to Jeremiah and he says, Please, is there anything, is there any news from the Lord? And Jeremiah replies with this in verse 17. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. Did you notice something there? Jeremiah's message changed. Remember, after he when he read out the temple scroll, that message was, repentance, that opportunity is gone. You guys had 400 years, and now time's up. Judgment is exact and final and absolute and ultimate. There is no escaping it. And now Zedekiah comes to Jeremiah and he says, please, is there any news from God? And Jeremiah says, Zedekiah, God is giving you one last chance. If you repent, no one has to die. The city stays intact. It won't be burnt down. Everyone lives if you surrender. How loving is God? God is giving Zedekiah not just a second chance. We're on, we've, we've reached way too many chances for the nation of Judah and their kings. And God is saying, I'm going to give this nation one more chance. I'm going to go back on what I said earlier and say, this is it. If you surrender, if you willingly surrender to Babylon, you will survive. No one has to die. Does Zedekiah listen to Jeremiah? Well, two years later, the Babylonians siege Jerusalem and they destroy the city. And they take Zedekiah and his sons. And Zedekiah is forced to watch his sons being killed. And then he has his eyes gorged out. And the last thing he sees is the death of his children. And Jerusalem is in utter ruins. Now, you would think that um, poor Jeremiah, poor, poor Jeremiah would catch a break by now, right? He's gone through everything. He's been abandoned by his people. He's had assassins sent after him. He's been thrown in a well. He's lived half his life in prison. He's feared for his life being killed by King Jehoiakim. And this is all before he was on such a spiritual high when Josiah was king and spiritual revivals were taking over the city. And now he's had to watch the absolute spiritual and moral decline, absolute plane crash of his nation. Surely the poor guy's had enough. Well, Jeremiah and a few people are left in the city of Jerusalem, which is just in ruins. And the people want to go to the country of Egypt. Pardon me. The people.
had little hope of saving his beloved land from destruction and the people from captivity. Yet, he was not permitted to remain silent while utter ruin threatened the kingdom. You know, we might look at... his human weaknesses and limitations and become a prophet of God. Jeremiah was also willing to sacrifice our eyes on the future of of eternal life and of heaven the problems of this world seem to
looked at all of the terrible things going on in the world around him. He could look at one small example like King Jehoiakim B. 